0: Hey Rockheads, if you haven't already checked out Music to Code By, you really should, especially if you need to focus on anything, like programming. But it's not just good for programming, it's also great for kids doing homework, it's great for reading, great for writing, anything that requires your concentration. The results speak for themselves, I've got hundreds of satisfied customers. Go check out their comments at mtcb.pwop.com. That's mtcb.pwop.com dot-net rocks episode
1: 1158 with guest justin james recorded wednesday june 17th 2015
0: Guess what? What? We're here at NDC 2015 in Oslo, Norway. I like it here. In the fishbowl. Yep. Doing a series of uh, shows from here as we do every year. Yeah. Great conference. Even if you're a, a North American and would like to come to Europe for some reason, this is a great conference
1: for you. Yeah, There's absolutely. a lot of great stuff We've here. We've been coming here for years and years and always had a great time. And it's big. It's a big show now. It is a huge show. Yeah, 1,500 people. It's really something. Yep. So there you go.
0: And you say, hey, let's roll the music because I've got something good. Awesome. <laughs> All right, buddy, what do you got? So for Better Know Framework, I went looking for one of my favorite topics, which is gotchas. Gotchas? I love okay. gotchas. Gotchas are, are those little things that you expect to work one way and you Maybe fall into a trap of non-success. Yes. And so I found this great thread on Stack Overflow. If you go to tinyurl.com slash for C-sharp gotchas, and over the next few shows, the shows that we do here, I'm going to be talking about some of the ones that people have posted in this thread. All right. One of them is the time span structure. You know what time span is, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, span of time. and There are two properties that look the same, but work differently. One is seconds, and the other is total seconds. Uh-oh. And he, Justin's smiling at me because you've done this, right? I know you've done this. <laughs> I've
2: done this.
1: Um,
0: so you might think time span seconds returns the, the time span value in seconds. Right. But it actually turns the seconds portion of uh, hour, minute, second, millisecond.
1: So it just cuts off the other stuff. Just, yeah, it's second. just the seconds. So, uh, you know, no. if the
0: total seconds is 1,014, you know, but, but if you break it down into hours, minutes, seconds, it could be two. Right. You know, so total seconds is the entire time span measured in seconds. Right? So There's uh, yeah, a gotcha for you. Good it's one. a it's a gotcha. And you know, it's just if you're not paying attention. Yeah. Look it, closely at what it yeah. actually means. Right. So there you go. No and learn it, love it, and uh I'll be doing
1: more in this series. Awesome. Yeah. So who's talking to us, Richard? So I know we're talking a little bit about chocolatey today, so I went digging back for some chocolatey comments. You know we did a show with Rob Reynolds. In 2013, yeah. talking about chocolate. Actually,
0: we were talking about chocolatey before that with Alan Stevens. Yeah, I think. yeah,
1: even then. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, he, was, he actually helped build the product. He was the lead on it so yep. forth. Yep. And two years ago, Edward Bray made this comment. He said, as I listened to the show, I came to understand the purpose of chocolatey. I saw that the long-coveted tool so often spoke off on .NET Rocks had finally come to fruition in a form even better than its initial conception. Ooh. It is here the wait is over. The word itself is absent from the show, but its aura was fully present and resounds still. The future is now. We have Install Buddy. (laughs) (laughs) So Install
0: Buddy is a reference to Mondays, which is another crazy show that we do once in a while. And Mark Miller is uh, prominently featured on that. And one of his shows, and it was an early one, I can't remember it, I don't have a link. But it was an invention called the Install Buddy, that as you're installing a Windows app... Just clicks next and
1: okay. automatically and OK
0: and checks off all the boxes just to get you through the installation and point process.
1: One m- Mark Miller commented on Edward's comment where it said, <laughs> quote, I agree. S- response submitted by comment buddy. <laughs> 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 I agree. Oh, no. But yeah, too funny. You know, I, I know we're going we're to spend an hour talking about this uh, coming up. But yeah. Getting stuff onto the machines the right way, not a trivial problem. No. And we got to get better at it. Uh, Edward, thank you so much for your comment. It gave us a good laugh. A dotnet Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at rocks com or via any of the social medias. We're on Google Plus and Facebook, and we happily take your comments there as well. We also
0: tweet. So I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. And feel free to tweet us. Tweet us up. Look us up and tweet it. And there we are. And uh, now let me tell you about our guest, Justin James. He's a software craftsman with over 15 years of experience building applications in ASP.NET, C Sharp, HTML5, and AngularJS. He's built everything from small utilities to websites that have had more than a million views and 20,000 users per month. Justin loves to share knowledge that he has gained to help someone get to their end goal faster. He has presented at several user groups in the Phoenix, Arizona area code camps in las vegas arizona and california nebraska code and code palooza conferences you can tweet him at digital drummer j welcome justin james thank you very much you're a drummer i'm a drummer yeah for many many years digital drummer digital. do you have a a uh, electronic kit
2: i do have an electronic kit strictly for practice though
0: yeah great for <laughs> practice because you can wear headphones uh, absolutely
2: and i can do it with a kid sleeping yeah, yeah. better yeah.
0: So I I play drums now but I never had my own kit until about 2000 and I started with a Roland V drum kit. And uh I and I actually ended up selling that and getting a real kit after I could play.
1: <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't mind if people heard what you were doing.
2: Yeah, well,
0: you know, there's certain thing about starting out, you know, you just want to hear it keep it all to yourself until it's actually worthy of others ears. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Interesting problem. So I remember talking about Chocolatey as a as a sort of a Windows version, a Windows app or installer version of NuGet, and and that's the way it was presented to us. I think Alan Stevens told me about it first. But as uh, you know, NuGet's great because you can just say you know install package, blah blah blah, and it works. And uh, I guess Chocolatey is a way of installing apps or utilities or anything else or setting up your environment.
2: Absolutely. Takes all the pain out of installing software, and no longer do you have to figure out where to go download the software and which versions you need, and 32 bit, 64 bit. Yeah. Or like the Oracle client, it's always a funny story I tell that for years, if you installed it in a directory with a space, it just wouldn't work. Oh. It, in- it installed totally, but then you'd go to actually use it, and it would just act like it was never installed. Oops. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, so no spaces in the file name. No spaces in the, the, the directory name. names. Yeah. So the chocolatey. Somebody's already programmed all those things, so you just say Coco install and whatever the package name is and it does all that work for you. So now the question is are are real companies getting
0: behind it and making installations that are chocolatey compatible?
2: There is a decent amount of packages. There, there's over twenty five hundred packages right now. Wow. A lot of them especially in the software development where there's a lot of packages for right. the tools like Visual Studio, someone created even someone created Visual Studio code within like two days of someone releasing it. Microsoft releasing this, so that was cool.
0: So other people can create packages for that for existing things that are essentially free.
2: Yes, Chocolatey doesn't distribute the software. Chocolatey says where to go get the software from and how to silently install it. Uh Ah, so you don't have to worry about any of those distribution rights or violating any kind of copyrights. And and it's been a it's been around a while, and it's still a popular tool. Is it still a popular tool? it's kind of funny they have a counter on their homepage, and last I looked, they were over ten thousand or ten million downloads of different packages.
0: All right, so I've suffered with installing uh, WPF applications using um, ClickOnce because, uh, in this case, Norton Antivirus considers it a threat, and um, I'm wondering if you can do a complex installation like that with Chocolatey.
2: If you can do it in an MSI package, you can absolutely do, do okay. it there. So a lot of companies do MSI packages, and you pass in all your arguments on the command line as a silent install. Well, Behind the scenes, Chocolatey is nothing more than a PowerShell script. So if you can do yeah. anything in PowerShell, you can put that in your package as well.
0: Huh. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, so it's a PowerShell script. Once again, we come back to developers should know PowerShell. Yeah. And then, you know, we give them yet another reason. Yes.
2: Thankfully, Chocolatey doesn't make it so you have to know a ton about PowerShell to create packages. They have a lot of built-in helpers. So there's the, you, any downloading packages, and you know, stuff like finding shortcuts to taskbars and zipping files, all that stuff they have helpers for. So you just have to pass a few arguments in. It does all the work. So I know in Visual Studio,
0: there used to be a free setup package that I think was a, um, a sort of a... I don't want to say watered down, but you know, an intro, introductory version of one of the one of the installers.
2: Yeah, it was a basic MSI creator. Yeah,
0: basic MSI creator. But and I think you had to get and register with the uh, install shield, perhaps.
2: You do now. In two thousand ten and before it was built in as the Visual Studio setup projects. Right. Then they got rid of it, went to a free version of Install Shield. And yeah. I've heard they're bringing it back.
0: Well, I hope so. Are there other MSI creators out there that are
2: painless and are less (laughs) painful? Less painful anyway? Uh, Yeah. I haven't done a lot of MSI creations. And and when I looked last, there wasn't a whole lot of stuff that wasn't Hmm. painless. A lot of people like Wix, but Wix doesn't really have a UI for it. Kind of got to dig into the internals a little bit.
0: Right. Yeah, that's what I heard about Wix. It just seems like we should have solved this problem. Yeah. By why now. is this still hard? We're, we're coming to the end of the PC app era and we can't still don't have a frickin' install
1: buddy. I just get you know, you brought up click once and like, wow, when's the last time we talked about click ones? Yeah, it's been a while. So what, how are you installing? So I'm presuming you build software that needs to be deployed on a routine basis. What are you doing?
2: So a lot of our stuff that I do is web projects. And I've actually right. built installers using. Simple Nant scripts from back in the day. Because Nant can kind of do everything I needed did there. For everything that's MSI-related, chocolatey is the, w- the way to go. And I've been pushing people to hey, install Chocolatey. Here's a place where we can distribute our stuff internally for stuff that shouldn't be public. Right. And then here's where to go get it on the and, public side. And
1: Chocolatey will use the, your internal repository. You're fine.
2: Yep. You can pass a command line argument into all of the installs to say where the source is at. Right. It can, it can be other rss feeds for the chocolate it could be a file share it Could be just a local director on your machine mm-hmm. so it's just
1: a service you stand up that you get from the chocolatey site
2: yep it's i think the package is actually called chocolatey.server there you go dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah what well, could be easier and it for last time i installed, it had everything i needed out of the box that actually install it throw it on the IIS web directory and drop your packages into a folder they already have predefined and you're ready to go
1: nice and that could do a remote powershell call to the server to load the package onto the machine.
2: Yep. Yeah. Or with that service, you can actually use the command line to go cocoa pack and tell it where the source is. Right. This and it'll push it up to the sort up or pack and then you push. Right. You know, push right up to the there, so you don't have to do that remote PowerShell call. Oh, okay. All.
1: So I can push to a server. Yep. You can push to the server. And presume the server has the chocolaty service on it. Yep. Then it, it responds to that request. Was oh okay, I'll go get this. Exactly. So I can bypass the PowerShell step. And I keep throwing my IT hat on here saying, what am I willing to let you people do to deploy software onto my server?
2: Yeah, At least on the deployment side, you don't do the push. The push is strictly to get it up onto the repository. Right. So then you would to get it on the actual Box. s- boxes, whether it's servers, clients, whatever. you would either have to do the remote PowerShell call mm-hmm. or have some kind of a script that someone would at least log in and run.
1: Yeah, I mean, hopefully I have some kind of deployment script so that I can... Now take that set of packages and deploy it to a test server and run it through the next set of tests and you know, exactly. so on.
2: And one of the cool packages for doing bulk installs is BoxStarter. that? Uh, yeah, I'm yeah not talked We talked about Box yeah. Tell us about it. So it adds in the ability to capture stuff like MSI tri- reboot triggers. Right. There's some any t- it'll reboot the box and then start your installs back up for you,
1: mm-hmm.
2: which is. It's just, great because... That's the
1: main issue. Okay, yes, I know I need to reboot. Tell me you're going to continue.
2: Yeah, because typically when it triggers the reboot, the Nest MSI package fails and goes, sorry, you need to reboot first. Right. There's some, when I have this big... If I just do a batch file with chocolatey installs, it'll go, nope, it'll start failing right after the one that triggers the reboot where right. Box Starter captures all, all that. It also adds a lot of Windows configuration stuff in. I can tell what size do I want my taskbar. Do I want to enable remote desktop... Right.
1: Well, that's what we talked to talked about when we did the box starter show, was whole, how do I have a, a template for my dev configuration that I can just immediately drop it on a machine and be off and going again.
2: Yep. That's exactly what, it, what you use it for. And it'll create chocolatey packages on the fly from either a text file or you can even use a gist file wow. to keep it up on GitHub.
1: I'm trying to figure out all the relationship between all this sort of tool chain. So, I mean, NuGet's still there. Chocolatey's not a replacement for NuGet. Correct. Right? It, it's for going and getting those libraries. Chocolatey is your MSI manager managing your own packages, and then Boxstarter is sort of the kickoff for all of that. We're going to build a box from scratch, and I'm going to need these Chocolatey patches
2: and so on. Yep, it's exactly what it is. Okay. Chocolatey just sits on top of the whole NuGet infrastructure because NuGet already did dependency management yep. and did all the versioning of packages and stuff. So, it really, went why reinvent the wheel? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, they use that API and, and then. They wrote all their stuff around. What do I actually call inside my package to kick it off?
1: Right. And the conversations we've had about box starters tended to be about client side stuff. But if I wanted to configure servers this way, there's no reason I couldn't. There's no reason that you couldn't. And they're all VM, and it's all VM based. I mean, everything's a virtual machine now. So the fact that I could actually, I run. This is my install from scratch. Build me a VM, configure it, load all the software on it.
2: And that's what I actually do with Vagrant. Vagrant. That's Let's talk I mean. about Vagrant. Another tool. Another tool. So Vagrant's a tool to manage your virtual machines. Okay. I use it strictly on my dev machine. So pretty much every project I have has its own virtual machine. But those take up a lot of space. And a lot of times I'll go three, six months without doing anything on those projects. Right. So with Vagrant, I can destroy the machine, but all the configs are kept in a file. So anytime I need it, I still Vagrant new up that machine again. It recreates it, reprovisions everything out and installs all the software. So instead of keeping
1: that multi-gigabyte VM file, you have the template to
2: make the VM again. Yeah. It's just a straight text file, so it doesn't take up hardly any space. Sure. Listen, you can create boxes with Vagrant that are kind of base boxes, so mm-hmm. I could install like Visual Studio and SQL Server and all the stuff that takes quite a while to install sure. and package that as part of my base box, mm-hmm. so it just re-instantiates that machine. And it's still going to take a while to build it, yep. but you don't have to do anything. If it, Yeah. You build it once, and then you're you're good to go. It takes as long as it takes to import the thing. So maybe right. five to ten minutes to import the box and oh, and configure it, and then you're you're good to go. Do you run a VM on your client on your
0: laptop and your desktop?
2: I got tons of VMs. There are several versions of Visual Studio. I've got a couple of Linux ones on there. But the main workstation boot is a also a VM. Main workstation boot just it boots up all it has on its office on okay. my laptop. Pretty much. But it much. is a VM, also. No. Okay. I, I wish they had that power. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking Docker might get us there eventually.
1: Yeah, Docker seems to me like the next generation of virtualization.
2: Yes, I, I've stayed a little out of the Docker space just because it's not quite mature enough on the Windows side yet. Right. And with all the other technology Microsoft is re- releasing, kind of yeah, have to pick and choose what, where I spend my time.
0: Sure. Windows 10 brings a whole another level of this, right? You know, going back to installation, Windows 10 will now allow you to have a private store. And also deploy WPF, you know, uh, Win32 apps to that store. So that sort of alleviates that problem right there. Yeah, that it does. The question is, you know, when will it work? Will it ship on time? <laughs> Those are questions I have right now. Sure. Uh, what do you think?
2: It'll be interesting to see. It looks like it's going to solve some problems, but we'll see if all the software manufacturers end up Redoing some of their tools, I think it's going to be so expensive for a lot of the companies to redo their stuff that we're still going to have the MSI installers and everything's not going to necessarily be universal in WPF well,
0: yet. Doesn't the doesn't the the stuff with the stores and being able to put legacy apps through those stores and run them in sandboxes and things doesn't that alleviate the costs associated with redoing things as Windows Universal
2: apps? You'd hope so. Yeah, we'll have to see how it truly plays out. Yeah, it shows promise. Very much so.
0: This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by the bug-crushing superpower that is RayGun. If you're wanting to detect and diagnose errors and crashes in your software, even find problems that you didn't know existed to improve your software, then RayGun may be perfect for you. Add a few lines of code to your application, and in minutes you'll get real-time error reports with all the information you need to fix bugs fast. You can even hook it up to your team chat, bug tracking, and development workflow tools. RayGun covers all major web and Mobile programming languages and platforms, including .NET, the full Xamarin stack, JavaScript, and many more. Go check out Raygun today at raygun.io and say hello for us.
1: Yeah, the challenge is: be, are, are we sure the app's really in a container? Right? Will the app actually behave properly? Like when yeah. the, you know, think about the hoops we had to go through with Metro apps for calling to a database. Sure. Right? Like you, you had to go through an intermediary layer. You know, It was all about this clearly defined set of boundaries. Right. But I think this the cool thing about virtualization is like well, now the boundary is the whole OS, but it's still a boundary.
2: Still a boundary. Yeah.
1: You can work all you want in that space. So Vagrant, um, I see VMware promoted prominently. At Hyper-V fine?
2: They have Hyper-V. They have VirtualBox. Actually, both of those are free. Yeah. VMware... Co- they actually charge money for their for the VMware, VMware
1: integration, okay? Because VMware is not free.
2: Yeah, VMware is not free. So You have to buy VMware, and then you have to buy the plugin for Vagrant for VMware. Okay. What about Zen? I don't know about Zen. I mean,
1: just running down the different virtualization stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I know you, so can, you can do
2: Azure VMs. Yeah. Like Microsoft on their open tech stuff has released a Vagrant provider. Nice. Yeah, I tried it out this last week, and it's pretty neat. And once I configured all the certificates and stuff, which even with my limited knowledge of the Vagrant or the Azure PowerShell, I still managed within you really an hour. Get that to, going. Yeah, within an hour, I managed to. So instead get of Boxstarter,
1: Vagrant, when you're dealing with VMs? Because it's a bit more VM savvy? Yep. Okay.
2: I get that. Yeah, so I went Vagrant to Azure, still used all the chocolatey and Boxstarter stuff on there. Oh, okay. It, it took one of the existing Azure VMs images and newed it up. I got to tell it what size I wanted it, where I wanted it geographically. For the data center, configure all the memory, everything with it. So that
1: Vagrant did that part. Vagrant yep. picked up and said, "Okay, I'm going to take a standard Azure VM template and set it up with this set of constraints."
2: What did Boxstarter do? So Boxstarter did all the the software install side of it. So the OS. So, so the OS is already installed before you get Chocolatey from the template. So yeah. So, so Boxstarter took care of like installing Git, and Node, and all the stuff that. I need on the box. Okay. And you can use any of the images that are actually in Azure. So I could have made up a Linux VM. Right. And if I wanted the Linux side, since we're talking chocolatey, the Windows side, they have base OS images, or they have the full Visual Studio images. Okay. You can do any one of those that you have access to.
1: It'll take them on. No problem. It'll
2: take them on. So even like the Visual Studio one, it only has Visual Studio on it. A lot of times they don't have SQL Server. It's prepped for you to install it. Right. doesn't have... like Visual Studio Code or Notepad++ or Git or any of those other tools that I'd install. And so that's where I put that in my box starter script. To
1: right, so you bo- and your box starter script is invoking chocolatey calls to yep. actually install those different pieces.
2: Yeah, so with all the Vagrant provisioning, I tell it, go install chocolatey, go put my box starter s- stuff on there. Right. The one thing I don't have it do is, I learned the hard way, don't have Vagrant call your box starter script. <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> Cause it doesn't, if your box starter script reboots with those MSI triggers, it doesn't know that your script rebooted. So Vagrant moves on to the next provisioner thinking that one finished. Oh. So instead, I make that my very last provisioning stuff and I copy the script on the desktop site. So I just have to log in, run the script, and then it's good to go.
1: All right. So Vagrant does all that. It's all set up, gets everything in place and gets you positioned to run the box starter script. Exactly. And then, you, and then it sort of drops it to you. Okay. Yep. And then you run that script, and now it goes through the reboot cycle to install everything.
2: And I did see on the Boxstarter forum, Matt put, talked at one point about doing a Vagrant provider for Boxstarter. Interesting,
1: yeah. And so that would t- alleviate that problem. Give it that intelligence to be able to do that. Exactly. I mean, this is all this configuration as code stuff.
2: Configuration as code. Yeah, it's
1: just getting a longer and longer. It's a fairly lengthy chain you're talking about about it, all each of these pieces.
2: Yeah. Once you get it, you go on. It takes it from hours of installing and going through the chain to like six steps.
1: Right. So, well, and the big thing is repeatable. Yeah. Right. That every time you do that, you get
2: the same result. And not just on my machine; it's on your machine too. Yeah. Everybody's. Everybody's, which is awesome when you work in a team. Yeah. I've been slowly selling my team on chocolatey and box starter, and like none of them really picked it up till one of the guys redid his laptop, and it's like, man, I'm going to be down for two days installing stuff. I'm like, give me ten minutes, I'll do you up. A- a gist file with all the stuff I know you want on your machine since right. he was more of the front end guy that could do a little back end, so he didn't need all the different tools I have. Right, right. But within three hours, he was like, I'm up and running. He had Visual Studio, SQL Server, all his tools. He's like, this is awesome. I'm going to use this every time now.
0: <laughs> so the question is, can you, uh, is there any issue installing chocolate, using chocolatey to install things from a, from a gulp script?
2: Not that or, I would think of. No. You see a lot of uh, people using these things together. And definitely see people use, using using them together. I know out of my chocolatey stuff, I do all my like npm installs as part of my yeah uh, box starter script, and so yeah. I get like Ionic and Cordova and all the different gulp tools to go to go with it that I would need. Yeah, it seems
1: like a good fit.
2: Yeah, definitely a good fit.
1: More the same. So when you're setting up sort of a base configuration for a dev environment, are you doing that like per app?
2: Sometimes it's per Per app, uh, definitely. When you get into more of the kind of freelance consulting st- stuff, companies don't really appreciate when you start having sure projects from other companies on the same machine as right. theirs. And, yeah, and so you do end up with one VM per company. Mm-hmm. When you, where I'm at, because I don't do freelance for the most part, I'll do one VM for a lot of my .NET stuff. Right. I've been, then I'll do VMs for like my blogs managed on GitHub and. Running Jekyll on Windows is it works, but it's not supported. It's kind of flaky, so it was easy to download a one of the Linux Vagrant boxes, new that up, and install all the stuff on there.
1: Right. Uh, yeah, and I'm, I mean, I've certainly run into issues where I'm working with a customer that is still on 2010. Yep. Right, and I'm wanting to have a pristine environment in with their particular config, so you just don't. I don't want to make anything that when I take it to their machines is a problem.
2: Yeah, I've done the same exact thing. I've, we had a project recently that, that, for whatever reason, it would not work in 2013. Couldn't get it to compile to save my life. Huh. Put 2010 on the box to make any code changes it compiled. Right. That's a, a newed up a new v, VM to get 2010, because I didn't want to put 2010 on my No, you don't want to like that. It's like, if you get a st- typically in Visual Studio, if you want to start with an older version, you install that first, and then you build on top of it, not the other way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like,
1: but I, I'm yeah more and more spending, because... Because the VMs are so cheap, it's really like just to get rid of the complexity of a, a configured environment. And I do a lot of large-scale web stuff, right? So often we have a very particular configuration, the way we want the web servers to behave. Yes. And being able to be sure that the devs work with the web server setup the way production is going to use it. So they just don't get into trouble. They don't go down a path of, depending on a feature, that is turned off in production.
2: And so Vagrant helps a lot with that. Yeah. So you can actually do what they call multiple machine configurations with, with Vagrant. Or instead of just newing up one machine, you tell, new up this whole batch of machines. So you could essentially replicate your production environment. Your app set. Yeah. I mean, so I've done it where I had two web nodes and a database node. Nice. All on my laptop, talking back and forth to each other to make sure, that everything work right? Is all the security stuff there? No double hop mm-hmm. issues. And it made it so much easier when I went to do production. I was like didn't have any worries of is this going to work not work
1: right right well and it's a, you know getting it to the point where it's it, it you you're working with a production configuration the whole time there is only one configuration you're, that matters
2: and it's the way the app lives exactly with vagrant's ability to just destroy the box i knew those boxes up yeah ran my test that i needed reclaimed my 30 40 gigs of space he's <laughs> three months later when i was looking at doing a major release, like doing them back up. Yeah,
1: but I'm kind of a big believer in just destroying them routinely, so that you're always depending on the script. You never get into the habit of putting anything into that VM that isn't in the script, because you're going to lose it. Exactly. You know, if it's important enough, it'll be in the script.
2: But one thing I wish that worked a little bit better was when you start doing web development and trying to keep all your files on the synced folders for for virtual boxes. Yeah. In theory, you should have everything on your main machine and you just have a share that's mounted on the virtual machine so you never have real code on the virtual machine. Right. Well, IS doesn't like that permission-wise a lot of times. Yeah. You get into some funky situations where it, it just won't start the website up. Yeah. It's so kind of not happy. Yeah. <laughs> you copy but them on the local machine and start it up and everything works. You're no like, problem. Okay. But you're
1: running in your security context, right? It's like, yep. what's the security context of IS in the production box? Exactly. That, it seems... It bites so often. Yep. And the reality is your account has too high privilege for what production should be running in any way. Exactly. Right? You, almost every dev I've ever seen is a local machine on their box. And that's just not an environment you should be testing because the production environment is not going to be like that.
2: And you almost always run Visual Studio as an admin. Yep. tends not to work for some teachers about it. Studio
1: just doesn't function well yeah. if it's not an right. admin mode. But again, your production... It's not going to be like that. Yeah. So you, you hope you're not running with
2: SA for the database and admin right <laughs> <for> the website.
1: <laughs> you would We just did a show with Troy Hunt, man. Let's not go down the security yeah. path. We're all already scared. Yeah, that's right. We're already afraid. <laughs> yeah, I saw
2: him talk last night, and he pulled up a website that had SA in the sample with uh, password of one two three uh, four five six seven eight. And I was like, really? It's like, and it was funny that he had that password because I was visiting one of the museums here, and they had guest Wi-Fi. That was the password for the guest <laughs> Wi-Fi. Ah.
1: man. But yeah, this, this is exactly the thing. It's really being able to set up those VM web servers and have them properly configured with the right security rights so that you can actually see your app function the way it would function in production.
2: Exactly. And being able to stream at any time is awesome. Cause I don't know what the deal is, but when you install Visual Studio and SQL Server and everything, it takes up like 45 gigs of actual space. Yeah. And, and it seems to grow over time. It starts at 20 and within like a month and a half, two months. You're at forty fifty gigs. It's, well, it's like, okay, it's I need sure. to destroy that. I'm running out of space again. How much space does SQL Server want? More. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> always <laughs> wants more. more. I
1: want more, always more. So yeah, being able to tear them down back to their template. That just should be end of day. At the end of every day, I want to rip this thing down again. Yeah. Start it fresh when I want to work on it again.
2: And that's why one of the reasons I keep base boxes around that have Visual Studio and SQL Server on them versus having Box Starter install them. Right. It's just it's a time thing. Yeah. It takes two, three hours to download Visual Studio and SQL Server and install it. Sure. It only takes 30 seconds for Chocolatey to kick that off. Right. And the rest of the time is downloading. Yeah. And you don't have to be involved. It's doing it. By having it in the base box, five minutes I can say Vagrant up and it it imports in that box and I'm up and running. Nice. All right.
1: I like that. I like that model. And again, it gets us into this different pattern of uh, being being able to work on a new thing and, and not spend a lot of time getting set up a big setup wrong I mean, there's a whole class of errors that I run into all you know when the app doesn't work when the new build goes out I mean question one is did you install it right I said why is that still a question <laughs> yeah <laughs> hey Richard yeah buddy guess what time it is uh, must be that happy time again
0: yeah time to grab a box of chocolatey nougats grunt twice and gulp them down <laughs> like you never heard that one before oh no
1: it's brand new I've never right, seen anything you know, like it never seen anything I'm like a, that I'm amazed
0: it's, <laughs> it's actually time to give away a music to code by CD and DVD collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club at first. Yes, I know, CD and DVD. Those are terms you may have to look up on the internet. What is this CD? What is this CD? (laughs) What is this DVD? It's actually a Blu-ray DVD. Oh,
1: nice. And I
0: made a documentary of myself creating Music to Code By, Mm -hmm. which is a set of 25-minute Pomodoro-sized, quiet and groovy instrumentals specifically designed to promote focus. It'll get you into a state of flow and keep you there. .NET Rocks fans are being more productive with music to code by every day. So see what all the fuss is about at mtcb.pwop.com. That's p is in Peter. W O P. Awesome, dude! Who's our winner this week? Today's winner is Gary Payne.
1: Congratulations, Gary! Golf clap for you, sir.
0: Golf clap for you, sir. There's no clappers
1: here. We're in Norway.
0: We got real clappers. <laughs> there are hands. Yes. And uh, if you don't know what we're talking about here, go to click on the big get free stuff button, answer a few questions and join the dotnayrocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. Every December we give away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member of the dotnayrocks fan club, but you got to sign up to win. And we'd like to ask our guest, Justin, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology
2: today, what would you be buying? And actually probably buy a bunch of musical equipment. Oh, great. Yeah. New drum kit? Possibly. I got in a couple new ones a couple years back. Oh, okay. I think the wife would make me sell a couple before I got any more.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah,
2: she, that's fair. I got four kits and an electronic kits, so she's like, no more. That's You're a little enough. over.
1: How do you justify that many kits?
2: It was like 20 years in between buying. I bought uh, the first two when I was in high school, and then nothing for 20 years, and then you didn't get rid of the old ones when you got. I didn't game. get rid John of the don't old ever ones. ask me
0: how many guitars I have. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> <Not> exactly. Every... <laughs>
2: Musicians always seem to collect. <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> <I> can't even <laughs> count them. <laughs> yeah, so I love like all the Personas gear. I Love to have some of the nice oh, Persona yeah. studio live mixing boards. I and... have
0: one of those, the 32AI. It's a yeah. wonderful piece of art. Yeah, they're beautiful. It's a they're work a, of they're art. They're a couple of bucks though.
2: They are yeah. a couple bucks,
0: but you know they're so versatile. All right, we're going to geek out here for a minute. 14 auxiliary sends. Hello, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hello, that means 14 individual monitor mixes. Right, that's what that means for a live band or whatever. Uh, just don't get me started. It's so awesome, and and they just came out with a new version of Studio One. I saw
2: that. Yeah. Is it five grand though? No, 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 no. no, no. You can you can buy other stuff with that. More. But, More you know,
0: the, I think the 32 AI is about that, about
1: five grand. Is that much? Okay. Yeah. yeah that's it's a lot. lot. Yeah. They're, well, they're, and, 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 and drum kits have a way of eating up the, the channels. Yeah, you know? at least eight. Yeah. They yeah. capture it well. Yeah. That they do. If you do it well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Some, if you do it right, thing. you end
2: up with eight. Yeah. As long as you know how to mix them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, that's right. Making a drum kit sound right. All right, I'm looking at the chocolate site, and right at the top it says, currently we have a very large backlog of packages in moderation hmm. and are
2: taking measures to resolve it. What's going on? So one of the really nice features that they implemented late last year was package moderation so that they looked at all the packages before they just approved them. Right. So it used to be before then, you, once you uploaded it as a package maintainer, it was Done. automatically live. Right. So I used to tell people when I talked, Go download the NuGet Package Explorer, open the Chocolatey package, and see what it is doing. Hmm. I mean, because they could put anything they want. It's PowerShell. Right. Also, they,
1: they could be doing anything.
2: Yeah. I mean, they literally could put the format C colon statement yep. in there, and it would run it. Yep. And, well, now with the package moderation, they're making sure you don't do that stuff, making sure you follow all their standards, making sure you're not installing in the root of the C drive. So, sort of app store type could, could sort of moderation app store type stuff, yeah, validation. Unfortunately, as Talklead has gotten bigger, the moderation queue has has gotten longer. In the same guys that are doing a lot of the moderation are also doing a lot of the Chocolatey rewrite. Oh man! So Chocolate used to be a hundred percent PowerShell for the most part, right? And now it's they've rewritten a lot of it to be a executable, hmm. so it plays a little bit nicer with like one get with Windows ten and right and stuff. It in turn the moderation queues can be long. How long is long? We're talking two to four weeks. Of, at uh, least right now. And they they've, Some of the stuff they put in place was to look for certain things they always look for. Yeah. Or that they could automate. And if they found those, was passed, then your package got approved. Right. Some, it, some packages, it's a lot quicker to Stuff to that get can pass, the there.
1: automated validation goes quickly. Exactly. As soon as somebody needs to look at it, you, you're you waiting a few weeks.
2: Yep. And yeah. I have a feeling they'll grow their moderation members over time. I mean, this is a good problem to have. But it's still a problem. It's still a problem. We're trying to turn chocolatey more into a tiered model so that they would have the, the free model, which is very similar to what they have today. And then they have a business model that starts giving additional features like being able to have a cast version of the repository. So if the internet ever goes down or the chocolate repository has issues, you have your own cast version. Right. Just, I think there's going to be two or three tiers out of that whole Yeah, whole and model. so it's and,
1: always going to be a dance of you want to take care of the open source community, but you want to eat too. <laughs>
2: exactly. And they're going to... Leave all the stuff that really makes chocolatey powerful. Still, is going to be free. Right. It's all the added benefits that businesses and enterprises would, yeah and be able have. to get
1: through the moderation queue quickly could easily be one of those.
2: Yes, and I think over time it'll get back down. When they started the moderation queue, you could get through it in less than a week. Right. It's just number of packages kind of grow, number of revisions grow. Yeah. It takes a little longer. So then
1: that's what happens. We have a major revision, and now suddenly everybody's package needs to go through moderation again. Yep. That's that's going to be brutal.
2: Yeah, I've had a couple that I own that the company. Released a dot release, and then a week later released another one. I'm like, I didn't even make it through the moderation <laughs> to the last one yet. <laughs> it's like, slow out a
1: little bit. Yeah. Well, that, you know, interesting problem, right? Is that we're now dealing with cadences that are day, you know, le- day or sub day cadences. We have to have a whole chain that actually works that fast if we're really going to take advantage of it.
2: Yeah. And hopefully it's, over time, the companies that make the software will start owning the packages. Some yeah. cases they do. Like JetBrains owns a couple. Of their packages, but they don't own all their packages. Oh, interesting. Yeah. They, for everything like the WebStorm, they don't maintain that package. <laughs> I actually ended up picking up that package because I wanted to use WebStorm and it was way outdated. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, I'll pick up that. I'll do that. Same
1: thing for, like, what are you updating when you maintain a package like that?
2: Normally, it's just where to go get the new version. Oh,
1: okay. Is it like an XML file or something? Or?
2: No, within the... Uh, Chocolatey install PowerShell script, you tell it here's the URL to go download okay. the new version, and then you just have to also rev the version number of the package. So it shows up as a new version on the website. What about automatic updates?
0: Does 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 anything in Chocolatey or even PowerShell for that matter, is that easy to do?
2: So they actually have for free software and packages, or I shouldn't say free software, for packages that are publicly available. Right. Well, they have a piece of software that will do auto updates for you. So if your install is always put in the same spot on the web, mm-hmm. then it can somehow detect, oh, that install is updated, and within a day or two of it being released, it'll just put a new up. package through the queue. No kidding. But a lot of the software out there puts it in new locations every time that's based right. off version numbers. Uh, uh, yeah. And so well, you isn't have that, to go maintain them.
0: Isn't that a good idea, though, if you're uh, doing install just to write a... Maybe, maybe a better idea. You could get the same effect by just making a backup of the current one. In another directory with a different name.
1: But why not have a directory for a given product, and then it's just the file name that changes version to version. Then all the automated stuff would work like a dream.
2: Yeah, like Dropbox does that. Yeah. Yeah. Then their package is fully automated. I didn't know that when I started using Chocolate, and I sent a message in a couple times. It was like, hey, a new version of Dropbox came out. Why don't I see an update, or when am I going to see it? They're like, oh, give it a day. It'll be automatically updated. Right. It just happens. So now... what about customers? Would you
0: give uh would you have a customer install a package with chocolatey? You know, if they people who are used to, you know, click a setup exe kind of thing to do an install?
2: I think it depends on what type of customers. Yeah. If they're more technical development kind of customers, yeah. absolutely they'd have no problem dropping to the command line and installing chocolatey. Right. If I'm giving it to my parents and yeah, grandma and sure. grandpa's that they're lucky if they can figure out how to use Facebook and email. Right. It's like, no, I'm going to have to give you in the installer. Our customers that aren't necessarily technical where Windows is concerned, but technical in their own
0: vertical markets, you know, it's probably not, not that good of an idea.
2: Not yet. I, I think over time it well. for. Yeah. That's not what it's for. not yeah. what it's for yet. I think that's their goal is to get it there, though. Right. Yeah. And I think once it becomes more popular for just package management in general, then you'll start getting some GUIs on top of it.
0: And then Norton Antivirus will come along and say, you cannot do that. <laughs> yeah,
2: <'cause> even on <laughs> we'll the Linux side, the they have AppGit for years, and they have GUIs on top of, of that for the novice person that just figured out how to install Linux with a desktop.
1: Right. Yeah, right. You said OneGet at one point. Do we want to talk about OneGet just to add more to this mix? I don't know a whole lot on the one get space, to be honest. Yeah. It's just kind of there, but this is the the IT side of Microsoft saying we want a new
2: Get too. Yeah, I think it's a good thing that Microsoft's finally realizing they kind of need a package man- manager or a better way to be able to install software, right?
0: Maybe for... even just within Microsoft.
2: Yeah,
1: just... but then the big you know the big debate there was why aren't we just using NuGet? And it's like, well, right. you know, that's dev product, dev things, and this is. IT things. They, they are different from each other.
2: And I think a little bit Microsoft confused the community when they announced OneGit and Chocolatey as the provider. Because right. Everyone took it as Chocolatey OneGit and it, that's not the model they were going after. They were going after a provider model and Chocolatey was just the very first provider. Right. Yeah. But so far it's been really the only provider.
1: They yeah, been, nobody else has really stepped up. Yeah. I mean, who else could step up?
2: And you've got like Puppet and Chef and could potentially do some stuff oh, in absolutely, that space. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, I mean, all that's good stuff. You don't use Puppet and Chef? I have looked at it briefly. We're, we're talking about starting to use it at, at work finally. Right. I mean, it looks fantastic for doing configurations and checking configs. Because one of the problems we unfortunately have is our service desk folks have access, admin rights to all the servers. Right. And they do some development work. And every so often we'll log on to servers like, how did this website get on this server? It's like, okay, we, if we had Puppet or Chef, they'd be checking the server and we'd be alerted pretty quickly. Right. Hey, something changed or somebody changed a config that they shouldn't have changed.
1: You've got a rights problem somewhere that somebody was able to do something you didn't expect.
2: Yeah, and and it's hard to take away your service desk folks' space or admin rights when they're the guys that, when the phone rings, they pick it up and answer the call and fix the servers. And find the problem, yeah. Yeah, so, Got to, they got to have the access.
1: Yeah. But they've also got to follow the process, too. Exactly. But and, I, I mean, yeah, there's more than one way to do these, these things. Some folks really, really like Chef, but its scripting language is Ruby. And yeah. for certain people, that's a problem. Yep. You know, I don't find it, I'm not a big Ruby fan, but it's just not that hard. You know, you are talking about an install script in the end. There's only so many commands. Yeah, yeah. It's very cut and pastable. Yeah, it doesn't seem that hard. No, but at the same time, I, you know, I like NuGet. I understand chocolatey. I've played with Boxstarter. Like, I feel like I have almost all the ingredients in the set of tools I've already used. So, throw in some vagrant on top of that and a bit of practice and some glue, and there, there you go.
2: So, where are the holes? What, What's on your wish list? On the chocolatey side, supposedly this month they're going to bring back a couple features that got taken out as part of the rewrite, right, which was additional sources. So, you used to be able to do Windows features and WebP... Pe- pi or the web platform installer stuff right so that stuff's definitely supposed to come back in i talked to rob earlier this week he said within the next couple of weeks that why did they come out so they've rewritten the product and that was just one of those features that it was in the backlog right like, mm. so now it's finally coming back out of the backlog they always planned to have it there but that wasn't their core market but it was definitely nice to have to be able to put in is configuration yeah. out of the web platform installer and msmq out of windows features you could always do all that stuff with the different command lines that were there, but Chocolate, you made it super simple that you said Coco install IS source was Windows platform installer. Right. And you didn't have to worry about any of the other, other stuff.
1: Yeah. I'm thinking about, um, WebPI. I mean, WebPI was a breakthrough at the time, but you'd think that Chocolate would take that over. Like, why, why would you have a separate web platform installer when you could just be installing the pieces that you want?
2: So I think Chocolate took a good model where they said, but platform installers already there. Yeah. Our goal is not to try to end of life and to make that push. Right. Let's play nicely with it and integrate so that you could install anything from the web platform installer. Without
1: having to talk to the platform installer per se. It's like, so invoke the web platform installer. I'd like, I'd like WordPress, please. Which is, I mean, WordPress deployed on Web API is very nice. MySQL goes in, the PHP stack goes in. It's like, bup, 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 bup. Here you go. WordPress. Ready to go. Exactly.
2: <laughs> yeah. And you never, and with Chocolate, you never see the web platform installer UI pop up. It right. does it all behind the scenes. So, so you're yeah. just
1: going, Web PI, give me WordPress. And it's doing Slash silent. Yeah. yeah. Basically.
2: <laughs> Yeah, and that does it all. So what about Vagrant? Are there any uh, things that you wish Vagrant could do better or different? Vagrant still seems a little hairy occasionally on the Windows side, especially if you get blue screens. So blue screens still happen on the Windows side occasionally. They do? Really? Wow. (laughs) Way less than they ever have. Uh, (laughs) But I've had times where it'll blue screen, and for whatever reason, Vagrant loses all the status of my machines. Right. I can still w- open up VirtualBox and I can bring up the machine like using that UI, but Vagrant thinks they're brand new machines and wants oh, to
1: wants to start over.
2: And tries to start over and then it errors going, You already have that machine name. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Kind kind of stuck at that so point. It
1: sounds like sort of blue that's a blue screen error box, right? Yeah. When you get to that point, you know oh, we must have blue screen somewhere in there. So you probably weren't watching because that's the point.
2: Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And it that only happens when your host blue screens. You can right. blue screen the Virtual machines, all you want, and Vagrant doesn't lose track of that. But because behind the scenes, Vagrant, I've heard, is just a Linux box. Essentially, it's a kind lightweight of, Linux box, kind of running to do all those commands. Wonder
1: what? Wonder what's what's going to blue screen the Vagrant host? That seems odd.
2: Yeah. Windows is Windows. Yeah, yeah. You, you never know what blue screens it. And it Most always comes the time out of nowhere. It's a driver
1: issue. Yeah, yeah. I mean, ninety-nine percent of my experience when the machine blue screens, something's going on with the driver. Sometimes it's hardware failing that the driver runs into but it's generally... So i got to tell you, once I got a MacBook Pro, the only time that
0: it blue screens is, and I run uh, Boot Camp, so I have Windows on half the partition and Mac OS X on the other half, is when I'm trying to access Windows files that are on the Mac partition from when I'm booted into the Windows partition. Right. And for some reason, it doesn't like
1: that. But other than that, I've never had a blue screen of death. Yeah, it's
2: become really stable in the last couple of years. Yeah.
1: It's pretty rare to blue screen a server these days, but it does happen, and it's usually a hardware failure. No, it's a hardware failure. And you get it as a a driver error message, which sort of points to what's the hardware that's going out. Servers are getting older. That's what I find, right? People are running them for longer.
0: Longer. Way longer. Yeah. What's the chance of a blue screen happening in a cloud VM, like an Azure VM? That is an interesting question. So now it's their
1: hardware. And it's the and virtual you know? drivers, too, yeah. right? And how would you know? Right? Yeah, what, what's actually going to blue screen? Right, yeah, what do you, if it, what's going to happen? The, if, the VM, if the cloud host machine, blue screens, I mean, all those VMs are screwed. Right. But you're not going to know that it was a blue screen. You're just going to know your VM went away on it. Right, you. right.
0: You know, maybe they take particular care with the, at their driver level on those servers. Well, you think... Maybe that's one of the reasons why you can't, you know, for example, if you go into a VM... That's the OS VM, like the whole, the whole Windows VM. Right. You know, uh, you can't do stuff like you know anything with audio or yeah, yeah. any. Well, it virtualized any, all
1: those drivers. Yeah, right, right. Which should make them super stable too. Sure, should, sure. quote unquote. But if you're going to argue the stability of the cloud, you got a whole other of set of issues in your life, yeah, right? Gonna, like at some point, an asteroid might land on you too, right? They just okay. So I've never ever heard of that happening. No. So, but, but I just not We definitely wondered, have. I mean, we certainly had the experience running the web, the the podcast sites on the cloud. They yeah. go down every so often. That's true. They, they do. come back up, yeah, but they do go down every so often. It's not like a cloud failure, but yeah, it's part of the part of the short life. parcel
0: of life yep. in the yeah.
1: cloud. Yeah, yeah. In the, in the, I just hate the cop. It's almost like a cop out answer. It says you're having problems with hardware. Stop owning hardware.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's one of the
2: benefits. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Not owning the hardware. It's not, is not hardware. your responsibility.
2: It is definitely nice having that in the cloud and not yeah. owning the, the hardware. I still and,
1: have a data center in my house. It is smaller than it used to be. It's very much cloud architected. Everything is VMs that can move between machines. And it's pretty damn stable. But I know I'm a dying breed. You know, that that this, this is almost the end of this. Why would you own this stuff?
2: They made it cheap enough in the cloud
1: to to actually ask that question yeah that's the embarrassing part i mean you know we're all mvps or rds or something right like microsoft gives us a bunch of cloud i'm spending money on stuff that it should be free uh to be able to keep doing what i'm doing but yeah yeah it's still you know what i still have a lot of customers a lot of data centers Mm. and they still have to deal with blue screens right you know that's that's i'm trying to be connected to you know, what my customers are still doing.
2: Yeah. And a lot of companies still don't want to go to the cloud.
1: Nope. They really yeah. don't.
2: They got intellectual property stuff that they, they don't necessarily want out there. Yeah. And...
1: Well, they've got to set They've got to figure out what the rules are going to be for their business one way or the other. But I do like this idea of getting them to this level of automation. You know, you talk about a lift and shift solution for cloud. Get your, get your on-prem installs this tight with Vagrant and and Boxstarter and so forth. And then it's like, you know what? Today I'm going to point it at an Azure VM
2: and watch what happens. Right. You know? Exactly. And the automation stuff's great. And I do it because I'm kind of a lazy developer. I don't want to do these (laughs) mundane tasks. That's
1: the truth. (laughs) But it's also repeatable, reliable. Yeah. You know, and that's the big thing is, you know, you know for sure that's going to work.
2: Yeah. I want to get back to code and I don't want to be installing software. I don't get paid to install software. I get paid to write software. That's it.
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) In the end, it's operating and even in the operations side, it's like, we don't make any money installing stuff. We Ooh. make money operating it. So why shouldn't it be instantly automated and just running so we can work on the next thing? Exactly. I love it. So what's next for you, man?
2: Well, I got the talk this week at NDC and yeah, got doing some user group talks and just going to keep talking and keep
1: ringing the bell on this. This is a good little stack. I, and it <laughs> exactly. to me way more comfortable. Than some of these mega, I and mean, I even consider Chef sort of a mega app of we yep. will do this for you.
2: Yeah, and we didn't talk about it in this this show, but Vagrant actually has provider or provisioners for Chef and Puppet. Interesting. And in Ansible uh-huh. and Salt. So if you are in that space and already have stuff, you, instead of just running shell scripts as your provisioner, you can run the, run Vagrant for it. Run all those different ones as your provisioners.
1: Interesting. And it's definitely sort of a hierarchical thing of. You know, down at the bottom here, we have new get getting individual things installed and, and and so on, and then you work your way up to here is this orchestrator at the vagrant level being able to instantiate a, v, a, a VM from a cloud provider with a particular configuration and then kick off a buck starter script and, and so on.
2: You get all that kind of kind of stuff going.
0: That's cool. Yeah, very cool. Really like that, Justin. Thank you, Justin. Thanks for spending this hour with us. Thank you. It's been great, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by pop Studios Now go write some code. See you next time.